Father, we love you. Lord, I am thankful for each person that you have brought into our family this morning. I ask for your blessing on Pastor Billy as he brings the word. Lord, may our ears be open to hear and our hearts open to receive your word this morning. Jesus, may everything that we do and say be for you, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This morning, uh, we're going to return uh, to our study on the subject of prayer. We started it a while back, a teaching series uh, we're calling A House of Prayer. Um, and as we uh, return to this particular teaching series, I just want to begin by reminding you that God wants you and me to be a people of prayer. We began the series originally back in January, and then we took several weeks off, and now we're kind of back at it again. So just by way of a quick review, let me, let me mention a few things to you to kind of, kind of catch you back up. First of all, we began by explaining in this series that prayer is, first and foremost, about worship and communion with God, about drawing near to God. Prayer is not primarily about asking God to give you stuff. Nor is it primarily about asking God to do stuff for you. In fact, prayer is much, less, is much less about praying for than it is about praying to. Because when your focus is on praying for things, your attention is on the things. But when your focus is on praying to the Lord, your focus is able to be on the Lord. And we also noted that this invitation to know and commune with God is open to absolutely anybody, no matter what your background, no matter what your brokenness. If you'll come to God through Jesus, you're welcome in his presence, and you're welcome to spend time and get to know and commune with him in prayer. We also pointed out in the Bible uh, that God wants you to be faithful in prayer. He wants you to devote yourself to prayer. In other words, prayer is not just a duty for you to try and fulfill. It's a passion to which he wants you to devote your life. And God wants you to be faithful in prayer even when things are really hard. Because we're not just called to be faithful in prayer. We're also called to be patient in affliction. Finally, we looked at the Greek word for prayer, prosauke which simply means going to or drawing near, pressing into the Lord, focusing your heart and your mind on Him, not so much on the things you want from Him. So with that little bit of background, we're going to continue to press on with this study. And I'm going to ask you as you're able, would you stand with me please in honor of the Word of God? And just to get us focused on moving this morning, we're going to read together 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 22 to 24. 1 Samuel chapter 12. Verses 22 to 24, I'll read the plain text. If you'll join me in reading the highlighted portions, that way we'll walk through the passage together. 1 Samuel chapter 12, beginning verse 22, this is what the Bible says. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. 
and I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and and you may be seated. Now there's a lot here in this particular text, uh, uh, but for our purposes this morning, I really just want to focus your attention primarily on the first part of verse 23, where Samuel says, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. Let me just give you a little bit of of background to these words from uh, the prophet Samuel by by putting them in their historical context. Uh, At this point in history, Samuel had been uh, the chief judge and prophet leading the nation of Israel. But at this point, the people had been desiring a king, demanding a king, crying out for a king. The people wanted a king instead. So even though he didn't want to give them a king, when the people kept crying out to God for a king, the Lord relented and gave them one. And I want to stop here for just a moment and and say a thing or two, because what the people did in this case is a perfect example of how prayer is not supposed to work. And yet, It's how almost everyone approaches prayer. Most people approach prayer in this way, even though it is exactly wrong and exactly backward. Rather than employing the gift of of prayer as God intended it to be used, employing it to draw near to God and spend time with God and hear from God and get the heart of God, rather than employing prayer to draw near to God and impress into Him, Loving Him and being loved by Him. Communing and connecting with the Lord. Being shaped and molded and changed in His presence. Rather than employing prayer in that way, the people instead tried to use prayer to get God to give them the stuff they wanted. The stuff they mistakenly thought they needed. So rather than pressing into God and the heart and the mind and the plan of God... They kept telling God what they wanted, dictating to God what they thought he should do. And for what it's worth, let me assure you, that's not at all how it's supposed to work. It's never a good idea to tell God stuff. When you start telling God what you need, when you start telling God what he should do, you have flipped prayer on its ear and frankly, everything else with it. So let me just stop for a moment and ask you, how often are your prayers like the prayers of the people of Israel in this particular instance? How often are your prayers primarily you telling God what you think He should do? You asking God to give you the stuff you think you need, to give you the stuff you really want, without ever really taking the time to just commune and press into him to find out what he has to say on the matter. In this particular case, the people kept asking and kept asking God for a king. And God responded by giving them one, even though it was a terrible idea. 
And I want you to stop and think about that for just a moment. They asked God and asked God and asked God, and he finally said, okay. And I want to make sure you understand that sometimes the worst thing you can get is the thing you keep asking for. And I want you to think about that when you think about prayer. I've watched young people do it with their parents. They ask their parents for something, their parents say no, but they keep pushing and pushing and begging and whining until finally they turn that no into, all right, all right, all right, I guess so. And off they go rejoicing in something that ought not be rejoiced over. They wore down their parents and got their way. But the truth is, very likely in the process, they also weakened their relationship with their parents. Certainly, they made it painfully clear. They would rather have what they want than honor their parents' wishes. They would rather get what they want than acknowledge their parents' wisdom. They would rather get what they want then just say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, and live in harmony in their home. Listen to me, particularly you, you younger guys. No matter what you may think, you don't want your parents' acquiescence. You want their blessing. And there is a world of difference between those two things. When you ask for something and your parents say, I'm not sure that's a good idea, but you keep on and on and on until they give in, you have not gotten your parents' approval. You've just worn them out. And that is most assuredly not how it's supposed to work. And the same thing is true when it comes to God and prayer. The Israelites wanted what they wanted. And they never really pressed into God enough to hear his heart on the matter. But prayer, as I've told you many times, and I'll tell you again, is not about asking God for stuff. Prayer is about drawing near to God and being changed in that nearness. So God agreed to give him a king, even though he knew it was a bad idea. And in 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel addresses the people. And he makes it painfully clear to them that God is not pleased with their choice. And then after a miraculous sign occurs in the weather, the people recognize they've made a mistake. And so in chapter 12, verse 19, the Bible records this. It says, the people all said to Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. And part of Samuel's response to them when they say this to him was what we read a few moments ago. As for me, Samuel said, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And what you find in these words of Samuel is the title of this message. What you find here is the obligation to intercede. Now the truth is prayer can take many different forms that many different times. Their prayers of praise, their prayers of thanksgiving, their prayers of confession and repentance, their prayers of petition, request, or supplication. And one important form of prayer is known as intercession. Intercession is praying for other people. 
asking God to help or to bless somebody else, to heal your aunt, or to save your cousin, or to help your friend get a job. And did you know that right now, according to the Bible, intercession is the primary ministry of Jesus? Ever since he left this earth and returned to the right hand of God the Father in heaven, the Bible says Jesus has been interceding for you and for me. The Bible says in Romans 8, 34, Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Speaking of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews wrote this, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Intercession is the right now ministry of Jesus. And right now, Jesus is interceding for you and for me. That means, among a whole host of other things, that when you intercede for others, when you pray for other people, you are joining Jesus in his right now work. You are cooperating with Jesus in his present day ministry. And these words from Samuel and 1 Samuel 12, 23 suggest that pretty clearly that God actually expects you to do that. That God considers intercession to be an obligation. And that failing to pray for other people, failing to intercede on their behalf, is in fact a sin against the Lord. As for me, Samuel says, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. Let me push this just a little bit more. I want you to stop and think for a minute about the people you have prayed for, especially the ones you've prayed for over and over and over again. That wayward child, that unscrupulous co-worker, that person who keeps hurting you or disappointing you. You pray and you pray and you pray and you pray and they just won't change. So after a while, you give up. You determine that prayer isn't helping and so you quit praying for them. Well, the Hebrew word translated here as failing in the New International Version is the word mechadol. It literally means ceasing or stopping. In other words, God expects you to pray for others and He expects you to keep on praying for them, even if they don't appear to be changing. Keep praying for them to be healed even if they stay sick. Keep praying for them to change even if they continue in sin. Keep praying for them to change and grow, even if they remain incorrigible. To be honest, there are a number of people in my life who I've prayed for and prayed for and prayed for. And at this point, my prayers are basically, God, have mercy. Or, Lord, do something. And, I, and, and, to, and I'm not kidding. I pray that a lot. And to be honest, I think they're pretty good prayers. Because I, I've exhausted my intellect in praying for them, but I'm not going to stop 
praying for them. So Samuel says here very literally, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. He'd been praying for the nation, he'd been praying for the people, and they just kept on being stupid. He'd been praying for the nation, he'd been praying for them, they kept on asking God for stupid stuff. And by the way, please do not miss the point or the fact that in asking God for a king, they were specifically asking for someone other than Samuel to lead them as a nation. In other words, in asking God for a king, they were explicitly rejecting Samuel as God's chosen leader for them. And yet, in the face not only of their ongoing folly, but also in the face of their explicit rejection of him, Samuel says, far be it from me to ever stop praying for you. That would be a sin against God. And frankly, it would be a rotten thing for me to do to you. Samuel says, in effect, in effect, reject me if you will, but I'll never stop praying for you. The lesson for us today is clear. We have an obligation to spend time praying for others. We have an obligation to intercede as the people of God. You have an obligation to intercede as a follower of Jesus. You have an obligation to pray for the people all around you, to pray for the people in this church, to pray for the people in your family, to pray for this city and this state and this nation, to pray for your pastors and for all those in positions of responsibility or leadership. You have an obligation to pray for them even if they keep messing up. And to fail to pray for them is to sin against the Lord. We often talk around here about the two great commandments God's given us. The commandments to love God and to love people. And as we grow as a people who love God and who love others, then it stands to reason that others will often be on our minds. We should often be thinking of and caring about others. We should often be concerned with the needs of others. And if we're becoming a people of prayer, then we should often be praying for them as well. The Apostle Paul was a tremendous example of someone who had come to love God and love people in such a way that it moved him to pray for those people. Paul wrote to the believers in Philippi and said, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And two verses later, he begins to write of all the things he keeps praying for them. He wrote to his beloved church in Ephesus and said, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Over and over again in Paul's letters, he expressed his love for others and then told them, how his love for them moved him to pray for them. In fact, it was love, love for God and love for the people God loves that moved Samuel to keep praying for the Israelites in spite of their folly and in spite of their rejection of him. Some people may read Samuel's words, far be it from me 
that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. Some people read those words and conclude Samuel was afraid to stop praying for them because he was afraid God might get him for his sin. I don't read it that way. Now, to be certain, I am sure Samuel had a healthy fear of the Lord. But I am also certain he had an even healthier love of the Lord. And as someone who loved God, he never wanted to sin against him. As someone who loved God, he never wanted to disappoint him. As someone who loved God, he always wanted to do the things God wanted him to do. And so his love for God compelled him to do what made God happy, which included praying for these troublesome Israelites. And in fact, right before he says, I'll never stop praying for you, he precedes that promise by recalling for them God's great love for them. In the latter part of verse 22, he says, the Lord was pleased to make you his own. Listen, when you really love God, you really love the things God loves. And since God loves people, then you are compelled to love people as well. And when you love people, as a person of prayer, you must be moved to spend time praying for them. As I prepare to close, let me just share three more quick thoughts on this whole issue of our obligation to intercede. First, it's much easier to intercede when you're actually connected to people. And in fact, I would suggest you're not very likely to intercede very well at all if you're not meaningfully connected to people. And with that in mind, I just want to encourage you. If you're not currently meaningfully, powerfully, deeply involved in one or more of our small groups or one or more of our micro groups, you need to do that. Every week I meet with a small group in my home. I meet with three different micro groups in different locations around the city. We hang out, we joke around, we study the Bible, we share our lives, and we pray for each other. I don't think a week goes by that I don't get a text from someone in one of those community groups either asking for prayer or letting me know they're praying for me. We pray about big exams. We pray about job opportunities. We pray about sick children. We pray about all kinds of things. And nothing helps me pray for people better than actually knowing what's going on in their lives. And that knowledge comes most often by actually being connected to them and somehow involved in their lives. The bottom line is this, listen. You simply cannot live isolated, independent, disconnected lives and ever live the way God intends you to. God has called you to be a people connected. Connected to Him and connected to one another. And two of the great benefits of that connectedness are the prayers you get to pray for those people and the prayers they in turn pray for you. Second, I want to remind you to make a point to pray for the people in your own family. Make a point 
to intercede for the people in your own family, especially since in all likelihood you know more about them and their lives than the lives of anyone else. Some of you have the extraordinary advantage of having come out of wonderful Christian homes. And an awful lot of people would testify to the power and the blessing of having a praying mom or a praying grandmother. I can't tell you how many testimonies I've heard in my life of young men who've somehow wandered off into the darkness, only later on to be uh, brought out and saved by the grace of God, and who share as a part of their testimony that they had a faithful mom or a faithful grandmother who never stopped praying for them, even in the depths of their darkness. Martha Sloan was the wife of the first pastor who ever began to mentor me for ministry. And she would sometimes tell the story of how when she was a teenager, when she was a young woman, her faithful mother would go into her room and pull all the shoes out of her closet and sit down on the floor and pray over them. She would ask the Lord to watch over her daughter and guide her steps. And she'd move her hands over those shoes and pray that they would never let they would never take her places she wasn't supposed to go. Is that an incredible image? Can you picture that? A faithful mom pulling her shoes out of the closet, sitting on the floor and praying over them, interceding for the safety and the purity of her daughter, laying hands on her shoes and saying, God. Direct her steps and don't let her go where she shouldn't be. Or think about when the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. When you read those words, can't you just imagine Lois and Eunice praying over young Timothy? Praying for their son and their grandson. Praying for him to come to Jesus. Praying for him to walk with Jesus. Praying for him as he serves Jesus. And dads, let me just go ahead and say to you, do not leave the power and privilege of prayer simply to the ladies in your home. One of the best and most powerful ways to be the priest of your home is to pray for your wife, and your children. I believe there is special power. I believe there is a unique and precious grace from God for believing parents who pray for their children and believing children who pray for their parents. God promises always to hear the prayers of all his people, but somehow I just imagine he pays special attention anytime a believing mom or dad prays for their child, or a believing child prays for their mom or dad. In my own life, my grandmother used to tell me when she was still alive how when I was a baby, she would hold me and rock me in the rocking chair in her living room and pray for me and dedicate my life to the Lord. I believe I am 
in large measure where I am today with Jesus because of the prayers of my grandmother. You have an obligation to intercede. And that includes an obligation to intercede for your family no matter what dark places they may be in. Finally, regarding this obligation to intercede, the Bible makes the incredible promise that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And so I need to take just a moment and ask you, are you a righteous man? Are you a righteous woman? And before you begin to answer, I need to point out to you that in the eyes of God, to be considered righteous in the eyes of a holy God, you actually have to be perfect. Pastor Billy, you say, nobody's perfect. To which I reply, there was one guy. His name is Jesus. And because he is, in fact, perfect, he is able to offer perfect to you. And he offers it to you as a gift. If you'll trust in Jesus and follow Jesus, surrendering control of your life to Jesus, then Jesus says he will simply give you perfect and actually put it on your account so that in the eyes of God, whenever he looks at you, you're counted as a righteous woman. You're counted as a righteous man. And from that place of imputed righteousness, God promises to hear all your prayers and deal with you as a dearly loved child. So if you're here this morning and you've never come to God through Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I beg you to do that before you leave this place. Tell somebody around you and let them pray for you. In a few minutes over there by the cross in the annex, a group of people will gather. I beg you, go and see them and let them pray for you. Prayer is an incredible gift from God. It connects you to Him in a powerful communion. And God wants you to use that gift to pray for other people, to talk to Him about other people to spend time with him expressing your care and your concern for other people and to ask him to bless and help them. Let's pray. Father, as always, we are so grateful for the power and the clarity of your word in which this morning you make it clear we have a privilege and an obligation to intercede for the people around us. A privilege and an obligation to pray for the people all around us. Thank you for the incredible privilege of being welcomed into your presence, being welcomed into communion with you. And we thank you for the responsibility and the obligation to use that gift to pray for others. Bring people to our minds and move us to pray. 
Make us a house of prayer. Make us a people of prayer. And in your good pleasure, change the world through us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.